Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. On this podcast, we discuss higher ed marketing topics on creating and capturing demand. So before we jump in, we do have a quick message from our sponsor, Concept3D. Concept3D's purpose is to foster connections through technology, elevating the way businesses connect with their community by leveraging the power of events and location. If your school needs an updated interactive map, virtual tour, or a centralized events calendar, please reach out to concept3d.com. Okay, so my name is Shiro, and I will be your host today for the podcast. And today I'm very, very excited to introduce our guest speaker, She is an award-winning content strategist and marketer with a talent for crafting compelling digital narratives. She is currently currently serving as the Managing Assistant Director for Digital Content Strategy at Kane University. Please welcome Danielle Ford. Hi, Shiro. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's it's great to have you as well. Um, And I love to ask this icebreaker before we get you know, into the details here, but what do you love about higher ed? Well, I can honestly say I love so many things about higher ed, having worked in higher ed for 12 years. And um, I've worked in a range of industries, right? Um, I kind of started my career in um, medical technology, worked briefly in pharma. And I I can only say that the higher ed culture is transformatively different than um, what I've experienced in corporate. And in many many ways, right? Um, I think one thing I love about higher ed is a sense of community. You don't always get that in a corporate environment. A corporate environment tends to be incredibly competitive. And sometimes um, that spirit of competition, um, rather than being productive, it can be really counterproductive. But I think community in higher ed is tangible and real, and I've experienced it. I think that in higher ed, you you will find mentors, whether it's in administration or in the faculty, because mentoring is a core part of our mission. I also think that there's a sense of um, being vested kind of in institutional success and in student success. So I will say at Kane, um, we're an incredibly diverse community. Um, a significant portion, if not the majority of our students are first generation. So um, we're connecting students with, with viable pathways to success. And viable opportunities, part of that is not emerging from, from college massively indebted, right? That's what makes it viable, affordability. So Kane's also the most affordable um, institution of higher education in the state. So I would say that there's a sense of shared mission among my colleagues, and everyone's committed to not only preserving an institutional culture that's inclusive, um, but also with um, high standards of academic excellence and equity, and um, it's also um, committed to research and also to student success, first and foremost. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I want to go to school there, too, now. Um, Enroll at Kane. (laughs) You you got me sold. If I was only maybe 12 years ago, (laughs) that was great. Um, And, you know, in our last conversation and also given your role, you know, we talked a lot about website and digital content strategy. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what your role looks like? I don't really get to talk to a lot of digital content strategists in higher ed. I think it's somewhat of a newer title so I'm, I'm really interested to hear you know what are your responsibilities your kpis you know what what outcomes are you looking for i know we could go on forever but just a quick uh, synopsis would be great 
Yeah, so I can talk a little bit about my day-to-day -day and some ongoing projects. So um, I manage Kane.edu, and that's the university's digital front door. We're one of uh, Kane's primary marketing engines. And wow. in my department, the Office of University Relations, um, we're the university's foremost storytellers. And um, storytelling, the art of crafting compelling brand narratives, is something I'm passionate about. A storytelling approach is really different from an e-commerce approach in that it's rooted in authenticity and it's people-centric. Right, so we're constantly telling Kane stories, highlighting on those those on the website, and then also um, I'm contributing to our institutional narrative by creating you know concise marketing messages and layouts that are visually compelling. So um, at Kane, our, our tagline is "Cougars Climb Higher," and I frequently have to feature variations on that theme at Kane.edu. Um, we're constantly exploring what Kane climbing higher means, right? So it's nuanced and compelling. Um, and then I think also we're telling stories of overcoming adversity because those are that's the classic American narrative, right? The Horatio Alger story, overcoming uh, adversity. But in, amongst our community, you'll find that those stories are so varied and diverse, and it's great to really highlight them on um, on Kane.edu. We recently were featured on the college tour, and you saw a broad cross section of our students from all walks of life talking about their different challenges. Um, kind of impediments to climbing higher, but also the support that they received in Kane um, and how that benefited them and how, how that helped them to achieve their goals. Right now I'm working on major projects focused on sustainability and research. So prospective students are interested in the kind of research opportunities, facilities, and mentors available to them. They also want an institution that aligns with their values. Um, so our commitment to sustainability is reflected in a multitude of diverse initiatives, ranging, ranging from academic programs and research projects to composting and recycling, um, charging stations, aquaponic projects for rehabilitating wet plants, uh, botanical medicinal wow. drug research, the list goes on. So the breadth of those initiatives at Kane it shows what a forward-thinking institution it is with a commitment to the environment. And uh, these projects are currently um, in progress, and I'm excited about telling those stories on the web, um, representing them with, with compelling um, visuals and imagery, um, also, you know, like uh, thinking towards scope, um, thinking towards navigability and ease of use. When I work on web, I'm always thinking about user experience and SEO. So I want to make sure that users are readily able to locate and access our content and that we're performing well um, in terms of organic search. But also, um, I want to think about, you know, what is the user experience like? How, how hard is it to find and locate pertinent information? What are the pain points that those users are experiencing? Um, is it intuitive or is it counterintuitive? Um, so often with design, we'll see designers um, choosing UX anti-patterns that are kind of the opposite of the way your eye moves through a layout or a page. That are making could you, things. Could you yeah. go into the UX anti-patterns? I've never, I'm not, that's a new one for me. <laughs> yeah, so when it comes to UX, right, there are a lot of style conventions. And uh -huh. some people are constantly trying to reinvent the wheel. But style conventions exist because they're effective, right? Um, right. It's kind of a visual lexicon that's established in design, right? And I'm not a graphic designer, but um, as a digital content strategist, I am thinking about design best practices. Things like use of white space, um, things like you know, like navigability and ease of use, um, uh -huh. best practices in these spaces. So a UX anti-pattern would be something that was kind of creating a pain point where there should be you know, like this really streamlined functionality. So you never want to do that. You never want to design in a way that's counterintuitive or that kind of goes against. I'll give you an example. Like on your mobile yeah. device, think about how most users scroll. Right? You scroll up. Yeah, you scroll up and yeah. down. But um, with a lot of our peer institutions, 
we're seeing a lot of scrolls where you're navigating left to right. Now that's a UX anti-pattern. That's something you'd only see if you were going through like your photo library, right? You'd never right. see it on a website. So um, things like that are things to avoid. It might seem like an innovation, but it's really because it's kind of, um, for the user, it can be a little disorienting or even an annoyance. Right. Got it. And a simple stage of that would be like, hey, let's make your website mobile friendly. Like, let's not have pages that you have to scroll, scroll left and right or zoom in and out. Is that, yeah. is that, would that be an example? We're, we're even seeing on this, we're even seeing examples on this on designs that claim to be mobile first. So, oh, really? okay. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. So, yes, k.edu yeah. is fully responsive. But um, even on responsive sites, you, you do see these UX anti-patterns in the name of innovation. But we do want to think about um, those style conventions that are more familiar to the user uh -huh. and that and also accessibility. Right. So as a, a public institution of higher education, we're federally mandated to comply with guidelines for accessibility. And, and that's part of our mission, um, making King.edu fully accessible to users with disabilities. So it is compatible with screen readers and other assistive technologies. Amazing. And is that something that you've been working on in, in the last um, 12 years you've been with Kane or with accessibility of your of your website? Yeah, I mean, at launch, Kane.edu was built to double A standards of accessibility and maintaining Amazing. that standard is, you know, is an institutional priority. Um, and earlier you're, you're talking about how you're working on the project around sustainability from a web perspective. Like what is it? What does it mean like to tell the story uh, through through the web? Are you placing it in and making it more searchable on your website? Are you you know bringing it snippets of it to the homepage, like in creating um, pathways where you can learn more about how Kane is is contributing to sustainability? Yeah, I'm working closely with uh, the President's Sustainability Task Force at Kane on this mm -hmm. initiative, right? Because um, we have a range of sustainability initiatives, not all of which currently have a web presence. So um, building that presence out and aligning it with our overall research focus um, is an area of priority. Amazing. Yeah, I remember in the last call, you, you mentioned the word footprint. Right now, like there's literally no footprint for a lot of the projects that the school is already um, involved in. And so like that's, that's kind of like the, the basic start, right, that you have to have uh, a presence online for that information. Yeah, I'd say there's definitely a footprint, footprint, but there's a difference between something that's like a footprint and something that's robust and comprehensive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also, so that involves a lot of things, um, consolidating information, um, like um, creating something that's... Um, so for research, I think um, in terms of the scope of our research initiatives, um, looking at what a lot of our peer institutions are doing, um, ultimately our research site will comprise not only um, grant-funded research projects, but also um, uh, labs, uh, centers, institutes, um, our facilities. Um, students are interested in what kind of research mentors they will, um, they'll be able to work with, um, what kind of undergraduate research opportunities exist, um, what kind of funding is available to them. Um, we have an annual celebration of both student and faculty research at Kane called Research Days. Um, that's a hybrid experience that our students can participate in. So all those initiatives are going to have a strong presence on Kane.edu in the future just to convey the scope of our research activities um, in a really compelling way because Kane is New Jersey's first urban research institution and um, we're still kind of defining you know, what that means to be an urban research institution. But in a lot of ways um, it means being a leader in terms of urban ecology and the issues um, that urban communities are facing. 
Got it. Thanks for explaining that to me. No, it makes sense. It, going back to your original point, you know, about kind of your, your role in your day-to-day uh, and your emphasis on storytelling, I was curious, you know, what does storytelling on a, on a higher education website look like for an institution, and, and why is it important? Yeah, at Kane, I'll say we have a phenomenal um, team of writers, right? And um, we feature their content in a variety of ways. Um, one of the ways is kind of leveraging subject matter expertise. At a university, subject matter expertise is one of your key assets. Um, you can't market academic program pages without that subject matter expertise. Right. So um, our faculty are actively involved, um, especially departmental leadership, in the content creation process. And they're articulating um, you know, what are the desired learning outcomes for their programs? Um, what careers do their students pursue after graduation? Um, what's, um, like, what cohorts kind of students should pursue these pathways? Um, so they're helping us to articulate that on a daily basis. Um, also, in terms of storytelling on Kane.edu, I'd say that um, you know, we have an award-winning video content team. I'm featuring their content in a variety of ways. Um, creating um, concise brand messages designed to resonate um, with, a, um, with a broad spectrum of users and with our core audiences. So we're looking to engage prospective students. We're looking to retain current students. We're looking to um, reach out to parents and the community. Um, and you know, at Kane, um, we definitely um, consider it part of our mission to be um, to give back in a meaningful way to our local community. Um, the um, Kane's president, Lamont Repolet, recently instituted an annual free jazz festival, and he says it's not a fundraiser; it's a fundraiser. But just part of you know like that that commission uh, that um, mission and commitment to community engagement is reflected right. in a variety of ways. And also, so we're conveying um, to the community that we're open and accessible; that we're a resource, whether it's for adult education or childcare, or our art galleries and theaters are open to the public, and we always want them to visit. Amazing. So it looks like you know you're. What I'm hearing is the website for Kane. Is, is not really just a place for prospective students or current students to go. It's all, you know, it, it has several pillars of uh, importance in terms of who the audience is, right? You, you mentioned community engagement just now as well. Yes, definitely. Um, I think every higher ed website is um, engaging diverse audiences and core constituencies. So of course, right. as a marketing engine, our website is primarily recruitment focused. But for current students, um, I, you know, I often say that um, with our past redesigns, one of our goals was to shift um, paradigm shift, paradigm shift, changing Kane from a filing cabinet to a marketing engine, the, the website. Right. And so um, part of what that means is that um, most of the content on Kane.edu is not administrative, even though there is a place for that content. So for current students, we're thinking about their experience. We're thinking about things like registration and how can we streamline that and make what they need as accessible as possible so that they're mm -hmm. getting the advisement resources that they need. But also focusing on, you know, like prospective students and um, attracting that core audience and recruitment. That's amazing, and I think you mentioned um, since you know since the couple redesigns that you've been involved with and managed, um, you've been able to drive a lot more campus visits through the website when traditionally the website, like you said, was was more of a filing cabinet and wasn't the marketing engine. Is that right? 
Yeah, I think the goal of every redesign, right, is um, establishing clear calls to action and an enrollment funnel, right? So um, as part of the redesign process, um, I've worked on several redesigns for Kane.edu. I oversaw a full redesign of Kane.edu in 2010, contributed to a 2018 redesign as a content writer and content creator, and contributed to our 2022 internet launch as a project manager. Um, so, you know, like that process has involved um, a, um, to begin with, an exhaustive amount of market research, right? You want to do a, um, an extensive and comprehensive um, survey of your competitors and what they're doing so that you can identify gaps in the market, so that you can identify opportunities. You also want to crowdsource your campus culture. There are a lot of ways to do that. Um, one way to do that is through consensus building um, activities. Um, I'm fond of a method that our advertising agency introduced us to. It's called KJ Sessions. So named after Japanese ethnographer Jiro um, Kawakita, the KJ method for affinity mapping is a way to ensure that the loudest voice in the room doesn't dominate the conversation around marketing. And so basically, it's a method that's inherently democratic, and it's a great way to engage every team member. And so it's basically sticky notes on a wall. But what you're doing is you're aggregating ideas, and you're identifying potential solutions. And you're also identifying um, kind of common pain points. So it's like, what is your least favorite thing about the website? Certain common reoccurring themes are going to um, arise, and those themes are the things you want to pay attention to, because if a majority of your internal users are saying the same thing, it's like, how can this right. be addressed? What solution doesn't currently exist that you most want to see? Those are other things that you, you want to be really attentive to. And um, I would say that when it comes to affinity mapping and consensus building, um, you're also thinking about your brand messages and what brand messages are authentic to you and resonate with your community. I always say that, um, you know, market realities, don't market fictions. So you have to identify, you know, what are those core institutional values? What is true? Because what is true is what will ultimately be compelling. So at Kane, I would say, you know, we're one of the most diverse institutions of higher education right. in the country. That is a fact about us and our community that is really compelling both for prospective students and for their families because you know a lot of students are looking for not only a diverse but also an inclusive environment which we offer um, also um, Kane is a research institution and um, research is a institutional priority and a core institutional value um, it's a, um, a supportive community um, so these are the kind of things that um, it's a supportive community where students will find lifelong mentors um, so these are the kind of things that we include in our marketing and that resonate with our audiences because they're grounded in truth. I love it. Yeah, don't don't try to be who who you're not, right? Be be real with yourself, real with your messaging. I'm I'm curious with the with the KJ method that you you examined or you mentioned earlier, was that something you said you internal committee right as well? But did you also talk to students as well? Like, hey, like, you know, where do you think you you know our website what was your approach with talking to students as well? Because they're the yeah. ones that are using the website. We use the same affinity mapping approach. And um, really? we got very different answers because it's a very different audience, of course. Right. But um, yeah, that student perspective is always incredibly valuable. And um, so in our market research, um, I haven't, uh, I've been directly you know, participating in some of our focus groups with current students. Of mm -hmm. course, we've also conducted um, focus groups with um, prospective students, um, with um, high school um, sophomores and juniors. And I know those have been a, a really helpful data source. 
that's amazing. No, I love that. And you know, what are what have some of the results been? You know, over the last couple of years since you've been, you know, working, uh, whether it's collaborating or managing some of the website redesigns and website initiatives. I think you mentioned something about uh, campus visits and the recruitment team before. Yeah, um, a success isn't a success unless it's quantifiable, right? So um, our <laughs> yeah, storytelling I, approach to you. content strategy and web design has proven to be impactful. Um, in 2021, 43% of the open house attendees were referred by Kane.edu, um, compared wow. to 11% in 2019. So we've seen a lot of growth and tangible impact. Um, we've also been nationally recognized um, by an industry leader for our SEO efforts. Um, so there's a strong uh, correlation, I would say, between our current record enrollment and these successes on the digital front. That's amazing. And I know we, we kind of glossed over this already, but, you know, if you're, it's, if you're just going through a redesign, you know, what are some patterns you've noticed that you've, you've done three and now potentially four of these redesigns? Um, what are some patterns you've noticed they should really look out for that, you know, you've, you've maybe missed on and learned as you, as you've, uh, done more of these web designs? Yeah, I would say, um, to pay attention to the numbers. Um, look for traffic spikes. Um, usually um, a redesign is going to contribute to a significant increase in overall web traffic. Um, right. But I would also pay attention to data loss. Um, sometimes with the migration, um, there is content that is lost in the shuffle. And sometimes that content is valuable. I'd also um, say to think about um, governance, because that's as important as content creation. Um, you really want to um, be wary of outdated information, right? Um, our, our website comprises thousands of pages. Um, in terms of scope, it's a beast. Um, so governance is important, um, especially because um, things are con policies are constantly being updated. Um, right. Things are, co are constantly changing. Um, that's one of the great things about the web as opposed to um, paper. Um, and PDFs, uh, we've definitely cut down on the glut of PDFs on k.edu. <laughs> um, people love them, but um, they're, they're static, right? It's not fluid. Right. Um, so I think it's important to kind of um, get buy-in for your community around um, content moderation, content creation, and governance. So that, of course, at launch, you're going to launch with a, um, a very high level of quality. But maintaining you, that quality could you over quickly time. Describe what governance need, means to you as well, just just as a definition for our audience. Yeah, I would say that, that governance means um, maintaining a standard of quality over time and having policies and um, internal stakeholders in place that ensure that those standards of quality are maintained. So um, we work closely with academic affairs. Um, they're kind of the gatekeepers around our academic content, um, ensuring that as um, as things change internally, as programs and their standards are updated, that that is reflected on the web. Um, also, I'd say that um, when it comes to content edit, editing and moderation, we have a, a really broad um, content editor network of about 100 content editors that I've trained wow. um, who are involved in that content creation and um, content updating process. So that's really helpful because um, you want to ensure that your content remains accurate and compelling. Um, right. And also you want some um, gatekeepers in place who are really knowledgeable about every place where um, information appears. So um, we try to avoid redundancies 
avoiding redundancies is key to governance because if right. something, if information it has, you know, appears in 12 locations, like what are the odds, unless that's documented, that you're going to update that information in all 12 locations. So we try to avoid redundancies to begin with, but also from a governance standpoint, if there's, say, graduation information on like 12 pages and there's a gatekeeper who knows what those 12 pages are, who knows that this needs to be updated simultaneously in all these locations. So that's kind of part of the um, governance process. Thank you so much. Thanks. That, that, that outlines it perfectly for me. That's great. And where, where did you go for all this information in terms of like you know, how to build this team of 100 people with the governance process? Like, you know, are there sources where you go for information or some yeah. people you look up to? Uh, definitely. At Kane, there are definitely people I look up to. Um, when it comes to strategic creativity, our resident expert is Robin Landa. Um, she's written 24 books. Um, I'm a huge fan of Professor Landa, and I definitely, you know, read her work. Amazing. Um, um, our um, Karen Smith, who's the head of our department, Vice President for University Relations, um, is someone with a really um, amazing strategic vision um, who um, gives a lot of direction uh, to our departmental initiatives. So, you know, I always defer to Karen and her vision and her expertise. And then when it comes to, like, um, you know, information resources, I get information from really diverse sources. Um, I like to read, you know, I read the New York Times every day. I like to read Fast Company. Um, you know, I'm interested in, um, I, I, we have a data-driven culture at Kane. Um, so, you know, like, I'm interested in data science and leveraging that um, for innovation. We also have a continuous improvement model um, around assessment. So assessment at Kane is ongoing, and it's very data-driven. Amazing. Yeah, and I know one metric that's super high level that we didn't really talk about is is web traffic though but I'm, I'm assuming you know since 2019 when you shared some of those uh, uh, web or campus visit results since then you know with all your SEO efforts you know I'm assuming the traffic number has also gone up qu quite intensely as well Is yeah that right? um, our traffic is robust you know I can't really share those numbers it's kind of a trade all secret good. but yeah. um, I, I will say yeah like um, our last redesign did contribute to a significant um, increase Amazing. in overall web traffic. That's great. That's fantastic. It's good to hear. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I was wondering where our guest speakers, or sorry, guest listeners could uh, follow up with you to learn more about your work and, and how to connect with you as well. Okay, please contact me on LinkedIn. So you can find me on linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Danielle Denise Ford. Amazing. And I know you've you've had some guest speaking opportunities as well in the past as well. And so um, I don't know if you're looking to also do some more in 2023, but um, I would definitely encourage all of our audience to, to keep a close eye and follow her on LinkedIn as well, because I know she's got some important stuff to say. Oh, thank you, Shiro. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have done um, some speaking at national conferences. Um, I presented at uh, RNL twice. Um, my last presentation uh, was around narrative, the art of digital content, the art of uh, digital storytelling. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us and thanks to our audience for listening in. And of course, if you need an interactive map, virtual tour solution or events calendar solution, please reach out to us. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Shiro. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.